Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Well, hello, Canada. Today's date is June 15th, 2020, and it's Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Rare surprise, surprise, it's raining. Oh, no. Uh, we actually do have, we got, have rain coming for the next few days, but it's gorgeous right now, so I'm soaking up the sun and I'm doing the show outside. I have never seen as much rain in our area because, I mean, you know our area. It's very dry here it's it's uh semi-arid uh climate it's on the very northern tip of the of, of the uh, uh sonoran desert so we don't get very much rain and this year we have gotten so much rain it's ridiculous i've never seen this much rain here ever oh my gosh yeah mm-hmm. and uh but today's the last day for rain by the looks of it and it's gonna get hot and sunny after this so Oh, good. So at least that'll help the orchards grow. Yeah, yeah. All right. So on the show tonight, we've got uh, a loaded show. A lot has gone on, uh, as usual. So we want to talk a little bit about systemic racism. Does it or does it not exist? Justin Trudeau has decided he needs to attach strings to the $14 billion provincial aid package and more. So why don't we jump in and uh, start with systemic racism in the RCMP. Because it's uh, it was now I'm trying to think of the name of the RCMP commissioner. Is it Brenda Lucky? Um, uh, anyway, commissioner Lucky. Yeah, you, it sounds sounds right to me. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, um, when of course because U.S. incidents always tend to spill over into Canada, at least the fallout. Miss um, Lucky was asked, you know, "Is there systemic racism within the RCMP?" and she answered, which I believe probably was her honest answer to say, no, I don't believe that there is. And then, of course, Justin Trudeau, the one never to find a cause he couldn't virtue signal over, said, oh, oh yes, yes, there is certainly systemic racism in the RCMP. You must be mistaken. And then, of course, Krista Freeland, ever the condescender, says, systemic racism certainly does exist in the RCMP. And... Commissioner Lucky decided that she would backpedal her argument and say, yes, oops, my bad. There is systemic racism in the RCMP. So is there or is there not? Well, according to Elizabeth May, the RCMP is a racist organization. So I didn't hear that. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, No, no. uh, She claims that the RCMP was uh, formed to oppress uh, our indigenous communities and that uh, that uh, original racist um, organization uh, is, is still what we have today. Okay, so here's a historical fact, because um, I am a student of history. It was actually... I believe June 13th, because the anniversary was only a couple of days ago, there was actually, in 1873, 
a massacre in what is now southwest Saskatchewan, where a group of American whiskey traders actually had come north and slaughtered a, uh, an Indian band. And it was, it was, there was dozens of, 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 of natives that they'd killed. And it was that event that actually led to the creation of the Northwest Mounted Police one year later to establish law and order in order to prevent such massacres from happening again. Yeah, well, according to Elizabeth May, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, she's probably right. I mean, I only did study some history courses at University of Alberta. So what what the heck would I do? And I would be surprised if Elizabeth May has ever taken a history course at all. So um, I, yeah, when she, when I saw that, I couldn't believe it. And, um, but, and I thought it was, I thought it was maybe, you know, the, the uh, post-millennial just, you know, losing, losing their minds over something small, but it wasn't. That's exactly what she said. So, um, as for systemic racism in the RCMP, the the term systemic racism suggests that the system is racist. And if the system is racist, then everyone that makes up the system is racist. And so my answer is no, I don't believe that the, that the RCMP is a system has systemic racism, but does it have individual members that are racist? Yes, of course. That's like saying, are there racist, uh, racists that work as electricians? Of course there are. I mean, you, there's a, there's a certain percentage of people that in, in society that are racist and you're going to find them in every single job. Um, are there, are there people, are there police officers that are, you know, power hungry, you know, bullies? Absolutely. There's that as well. There's also misconstruing of facts, misconstruing of stats. Um, my oldest friend is a uh rcmp officer and he he said to me you know he said you can you can take stats and skew them any way you want and he said one of them is where he was stationed he was stationed out in in a city that was predominantly white but he was on uh he was on traffic and so he would be stationed on the highways outside the city and three of the four highways that left the city uh, went to indigenous communities. And so the overwhelming majority of people he would catch speeding or driving without insurance or DUIs, they were native. But the reason was because those communities that those highways went to were native communities. And so, you know, 80% of the people traveling those roads were native. So it, it skewed the stats. But you have to look at 
why those numbers are what they are. And it's, you know, because, because he, uh, because the most of the travelers on that road are native, you're going to have a higher percentage of native natives that get caught for doing things that they shouldn't be doing. But it doesn't mean that they're picking out uh, natives to to just randomly pull over. Uh, he said, you know, most of his most of these calls, like he, like he would pull people over in the in the middle of the night. You can't tell in the middle of the night who you're pulling over, and uh he said you know he would be called they would yell at him and call him a racist for pulling them pulling them over and he said i'm a racist for pulling you over for doing 50 over the speed limit (laughs) and um but they would call him a racist and he said the only reason you're calling me a racist is because i'm white so who's the racist here so well said you know it's he it's there's there's so much nuance. It is not black and white. There are so many shades of gray. And are there racist cops? Absolutely. Are there power-tripping, power-hungry, bully police officers? Absolutely. Are there great cops who are there to do a fair job? They're fair to everybody and uh, you know, they don't treat different races different ways from white people. Yes, most definitely. And most of the cops fall under that category. Yeah, see, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with, with everything you said. That, that's absolutely true. And uh, so we had a few videos that have surfaced recently. And I actually was going to cover this topic we're discussing now on last week's show but then I decided I wanted to wait and apply the Bongino rule, which, uh, you know, Dan Bongino always says when you get a story that seems a little too good to be true or just a little over the top, always wait 24 to 72 hours before you report on it. So yeah, I decided and a perfect and a perfect example of that would be the uh, those uh, uh, private school kids in Washington, D.C., who exactly had that, who who's there was that photo of that one kid standing really close to a native uh, protester with a drum and giving him a, a, a smile and everybody lost their minds, calling him a racist, wanting him, you know, he had death threats, everything. And when, and 48 hours later, we see the full video and it was, and it was the native man who uh, approached him. And yeah. started banging the drum right in his face, and yeah, so exactly. that—that's a perfect example of wait twenty-four to forty-eight hours for the real story. And now you, I know where you're going with this, so you please continue. All right. So uh, it had come out that Chief um, a- Adam Allen, who uh, is from. Fort Chippewan, Alberta, and I can't remember if that's the name of the band or not, but I know that the community of Fort Chippewan is north of Fort McMurray, approaching the uh, the 60th parallel, so the border with the Northwest Territories. He had a confrontation with RCMP in Fort McMurray, and of course, the clip that initially came out in the media was very similar to the, the Covington video you're discussing in the States, and it was that they showed 
enough of the video to show an RCMP jumping on Mr. Allen and beating the crap out of him, essentially. So finally, got it. We the RCMP released the full 12 minutes and 30 seconds video of the whole incident. And Chief Allen, and I actually got another point on him after this, this story is done, but Chief Allen actually jumped out of the truck from the passenger seat and approached the RCMP vehicle, absolutely berated the, the officer, who actually was quite professional and polite and just saying, you know, return to your vehicle, sir, I'll deal with you in a minute. And you can see Chief Allen got more and more agitated. He called the, uh, the officer a white word I can't say on the, on the radio airwaves and repeatedly called him that. And then actually at one point threw his coat into his truck, got into a fighting stance and challenged the RCMP officer to a fight. And this RCMP officer called for backup, was actually very calm and attempted to talk to Chief Allen's wife, who was driving the vehicle. And it was expired plates is why they were pulled over. And yep, Chief Allen kept uh, was kept after him, actually hit the officer in the arm while he was talking to Chief Allen's wife. And... He tried to escalate the situation. The RTMP officer, in my opinion, was very cool and calm. And then when his backup first backup arrived, that's when it got ugly. And that that officer, I thought, was a little over the top because he just flew in, tackled Chief Allen, brought him down, and then uh, subdued him. So it's one of those things when you see the whole story, it certainly make, paints a, a much different picture. Now, I think you've seen this video as well, correct? I have. Yeah. And I, and I agree fully with your analysis of it. Um, the, the cop, the backup officer that, that got there after, uh, all this had been going on for, she's about eight or nine minutes at that point. Yeah. I uh, I agree. What he did was definitely over the top. I mean, he clotheslined them at full, at full tilt. Like he ran in there at a real good clip and clotheslined them. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, excessive force. Yes. Um, but you, the, you're right. That first cop, he was, he was very professional, very calm. Uh, this is the second time that the chief has been uh, pulled over for expired plates. And, uh, and yeah, he, he uh, got into a fighting stance for sure after he took his jacket off. Like he was, he, he wanted to fight. Yeah. And he was swearing up a storm, like the words that you and I could never repeat on this podcast. And yeah, he was actually challenging the officer. And I, I just thought that, you know, if he was in any city in the United States and he pulled that stunt, it would not have ended well for him at all. No, in fact, it, 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 he's probably lucky he's in Canada and that it ended the way it did. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, I don't, well, you know, we agree that the second officer was certainly acted over the top. I, you know, I mean, once you see the whole video, you kind of realize that he kind of had it coming. And so I just want to tack on one more story about Chief Allen uh, in case anybody still thinks this man has a leg to stand on a couple of years ago when it might even have been tech frontier when they were applying for environmental assessments for the, the oil sands mine, they were looking to create 
Chief Allen's Reserve was one of the bands they had to get approval from in order for the assessment to go through. Now, you may remember that Chief Allen actually offered up his support for a fee. Uh, and so it wasn't a matter of the environment or whatnot. It was a matter of my assessment or my approval is for sale to the highest bidder. Yeah. And, and, I, and I believe he got $55,000 from the Tides Foundation. He did. Yep. So uh, yeah. that, that says a lot about, uh, about Chief Allen's character at any rate. And then when you watch this video coupled on top of that little tidbit, it, it gives him zero credibility whatsoever. And I, uh, good for him for being elected to chief of his reserve. But as far as I'm concerned, he has embarrassed the entire reserve. Yeah, I agree. And he has done, he has not helped. And if the lawyer, his lawyer released the initial video, the shortened clip, and uh, if they think that this has done anything to uh, shed light on some systemic racism in the RCMP, they are sadly mistaken. All this has done is shown what a, what a, uh, what a jerk the chief is yeah exactly so i want to touch on one more example with uh rcmp and our indigenous communities now this is a video that i did wasn't able to see a lot of because it was just a cell phone video basically of the event in question and what had happened this was in cape dorset nunavut which uh is on baffin island kind of in the southwestern tip of baffin island so in the northwest passage just so people have some context of where where this community is and it's a community of about 1500 people and there are eight RCMP officers in this community. So that tells you right there, there is obviously a, a need for a lot of police presence. So what happened in this video uh, where I can see it starts off with a man who was obviously very intoxicated. He is staggering. He can barely stay on his feet. He's weaving all over the place. And then an RCMP pickup, drives up the driver's door opens and knocks this man to the ground at which point i think it's two or three officers get out and uh and handcuff him and and arrest him and that that's where the video ends so from that clip it looks awful so then i all the research i could do all i could find was just a news story about it and they had just said that the man was was being picked up he was very aggressive when they, they picked him up. So whether there is a backstory, I'm not sure, but they said when they brought, put him in the cells, there were seven other people in cells, all of whom were also very intoxicated. And this particular gentleman ended up not being charged with anything, but was actually assaulted in his cell and ended up having to fly to a Callowit for uh, medical attention. So that's where the story comes to an end. So I don't know if that's a matter of racism or if there's a backstory that we may or may not ever hear about, but, that one certainly does not look good for the RCMP. No, it doesn't. And the thing is, is I mean, there's so much that goes into this, into these stories that you don't know what the what the history is between the police and this and this individual. Uh, you, we don't know what happened in the police station between the police and this individual. Right. I mean, we don't know anything, but people jump to conclusions. And, oh, totally. and yeah, and uh, and I mean, for all we know, 
it really could be bad cops. It really could be. Um, but it could also be that he attacked a cop in, in the cell, you know, when they came in to talk to him or, or to check on him or something, and he may have attacked somebody. Um, hopefully there's, there's video from inside the police, uh, precinct or the station. Right. Yeah. Well, it was another, uh, um, per, uh, you know, incarcerated person that had attacked this individual, not a cop. Uh, one oh, series was. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that, well, then I don't know what really to say about it. I mean, yeah. If another, if another, per, if another inmate uh, attacked attacked him, then how is this systemic racism on the police part? I mean, I understand maybe when they pulled up and opened the door and knocked him to the ground. I mean. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Some, maybe uh, there was like a, a cop who was just being a jerk, right? To me, um, that's what it sounds like. But but uh, but what happened in the cell, I mean, I don't know how you put that on the police unless they were standing around watching it happen. Well, exactly. Yeah, I think that's kind of beyond their control. But, of course, because of the the mood and what's going on right now, the media will jump on anything they can find, right? Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm glad you brought that one up because I actually had never heard of, heard that one yet. So, but there is one you had heard of, which I hadn't, and that happened in Quebec. Yeah, a, uh, uh, a I'm not sure exactly which um, uh, police force or city in which it happened, but it was two. Uh, Quebec police officers, um, a male and a female, both white, uh, who were arresting a black man. And uh, the black man was not cooperating. I wouldn't say he was resisting in terms of fighting back or anything, but he was not cooperating in, you know, uh, he wasn't allowing himself to be, you know, put in the backseat of the, of the cruiser. So this, this cop, you know, picked him up, slammed him to the ground while he's handcuffed, picked him back up off the ground again and threw him head first or feet first, I think into the backseat of the police car. And it was quite violent. It wasn't as, you know, if you can find the video on YouTube, go find it. It's, it's quite, uh, it's quite upsetting, to be honest. It's a cell phone video, so I don't know if there was something happening before this. Uh, but from what I saw, it was completely unwarranted what happened, and uh, and the police officers accosted the person who was filming it. Oh, uh, after they got the the guy into the back seat they both came over to the person uh who was filming it and uh got into an argument with that person so it uh yeah that, that doesn't reflect well on uh on their, that police force either yeah definitely not that uh and again the the sad thing is when you've got a citizen cell phone video you're never going to see the full story that's the sad part like you said you, we don't know what happened before they started filming and 
And because I'm very pro-cop, I'm always going to try to find some way to defend them. So, I mean, this sounds awful, but yeah, it would be great to know the full story. It, it would be, but as I said, whatever that, whatever the suspect was doing at that moment was not, it was the, the force used against him was unwarranted. It, it, it really was. What's that? And especially if he's already handcuffed. Yeah, he was handcuffed. It, it, it wasn't like he was fighting back or anything. He wasn't even, he wasn't even really talking. He just wasn't really cooperating and the cop lost his cool. Yeah. See, and, that's, that's too bad. Yeah. So, yeah, but I mean, you know what? The biggest problem is that cops are just people. Yeah. And people make mistakes. People lose their cool. People, you know, I mean, it's cops are just people too. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people don't realize. I mean, cops are human and, you know, as humans, we're fallible beings. And I realize that, you know, cops are expected to be, I guess, a little a little above that. But, I mean, you, you can't expect them, I guess, to be saints all the time. No, no, you can't. Um, I mean, there's... But I mean, obviously, there's lack of lack of training or, or resources and, and stuff to deal with, you know, PTSD and all that kind of stuff. Because I'm telling you, cops deal with PTSD like you would not believe. It's because I mean, they see they see horrific things that the general public does not see, and they deal with the with the worst kind of people on a daily basis and it's it's pretty much an impossible job and uh so i just i i feel sorry for police uh when they get accused of things that you know anybody else probably wouldn't have kept their cool anywhere near as long like you're talking about this this case of Chief Allen, and it's like just a normal, regular Joe would never have kept his cool anywhere near as long as that cop did. True. Yeah. If, I mean, if it was me, and I tend to be fairly level-headed, if I don't mind saying so myself, and I don't think I would have made it even two minutes before I would have been shoving that guy. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So... Mm-hmm. And the sad thing is what we never see is when a white cop is taking it to a white criminal because those aren't sensational enough to make YouTube. Yeah. And that's, and that's a point I was making too, is that this cop in Minnesota that killed, uh, uh, Oh, what's his first name? George. George Floyd. Um, that cop that, that killed him, like, and I say this to people and people are horrified when I say it. And I say, I don't think that he was racist because he's had what, 15, 15 complaints against him in his career for excessive force or 
uh, other other things. Yeah, there's quite a lot. And, that. Yeah, and a good port, a good number of those complaints were from white people. So I don't think that he was a racist cop. I just think he was a piece of crap that was eventually going to kill somebody. And it doesn't matter if they were black, white, Chinese, whatever. I think he would eventually have killed somebody. But I don't think he was a racist cop. Not that it makes it any better. But I think that, I mean, the the Minnesota police and the Minneapolis police had killed a white woman just a couple of weeks before uh, that incident. And you never heard anything about that. Right. Yeah. See that, and that's the kind of the point is just that it's one-sided in that way. So, I mean, I don't think it's a systemic racism issue on either side of the border. I think it's just a matter of there's a few bad apples that are spoiling the whole cart. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to say that there isn't systemic racism in some U.S police departments because i absolutely do think there is um if you look at the baltimore police department for example uh it's quite well known how racist that police department has been and how instrumental they were in uh in uh in keeping black people from moving into certain neighborhoods and all kinds of stuff like it's Baltimore is a real bad like if you want to if you want to use the argument of systemic racism Baltimore is the city to use oh lovely yeah it's horrible and I mean it's a lot better than it used to be but it's still bad there and um because I listened to uh, a podcast of uh with a former police officer from the city of Baltimore and he talked about how bad it is Okay, then. Yeah, so, I mean, there there are places in the U.S. where I absolutely do agree that there is systemic racism within the police forces. and But we're talking about Canada. And I just don't see it. I see, a, you know, the odd individual cop that might be racist. Or, like I said earlier in the show, that, you know, the co- there's cops that are uh, you know, they're power hungry bullies. Yeah. Or they use excessive force. Yes. But the overwhelming majority of police officers are none of those. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. It's probably as good a spot as any to move on from there. Cause I, yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably a good way to close that one up. So parliament in Canada um, ended its current sitting today. Now, unfortunately, I was not able to catch the news as far as what happened. It was the they were debating the government's latest spending package for the the Wuhan virus relief, and of course, the media, being sensational as they are, said, "Well, if it's if Justin Trudeau is unable to to pass this legislation, then we could be seeing a summer election." Well. I said, okay, well, let's calm the hyperbole. I mean, yes, it's possible that it, it, it is a confidence motion because it's a finance bill. I get that. But what I want to talk about, since I don't know the results of that, is a $14 billion 
aid package that was set to go to the provinces and has now actually started to divide the uh, prime minister and provinces because Justin Trudeau, being Justin Trudeau, has decided that, no, no, now this money is not just going out to the provinces carte blanche to, to spend as they see fit. He's decided there has to be strings attached. Oh, uh, sorry. I, I'm not shocked. Let's keep going. I, I thought you would be. I thought I thought for sure I'd have to give you a chance to get off the floor. But, um, of course, Justin Trudeau has now said that, well, this money is available. However, um, you must implement a, a paid sick leave program, and there must be costing, and there must be – I even want to say there was something to do with climate change in, involved in there as well. And he wanted to make certain that the uh, there were certain healthcare protocols put in place to uh, to deal with any f- future outbreaks, and that I didn't even have a problem with. But I thought the paid sick days, no, no, you stay out of our business. This uh, that's that's not a, a federal purview. That's yet again Justin Trudeau trying to stick his nose where it doesn't belong. Yeah, I just I'm I'm getting really sick and tired of Justin Trudeau's government thinking that they can dictate to the provinces what they're supposed to do with provincial jurisdiction. Like this is, this is wrong. You can't do that. At least you shouldn't be doing that. It's, it's totally that our constitution protects provincial jurisdiction and you can't have a federal government saying we're going to withhold, uh, transfer payments for, uh, you know, for, for, for uh, pandemic relief, unless you institute these things that are under provincial jurisdiction. Like this is, this is absolutely ridiculous. It's an, it's a government overreach once again, but don't, don't think I'm one bit surprised because this this guy has done everything he can. Every chance he gets, he tries to grab more power. Oh, he absolutely does. And what I found funny was that when uh, and and and, and I'm, by funny this time, I don't mean peculiar. I mean amusing. Was when he first tried to push through. What was it? When it was last week, I guess it was when he when he was defeated in the House of Commons. When I was so giddy on Wednesday because he tried to push through yet another spending bill and the opposition actually shut him down. Yeah. And that was the, that was the aid package for uh, people with disabilities. Thank you. That's what it was. Cause he had ramped some, tried to sneak something else in there and the opposition was, was having none of it. And when Mr. Trudeau had to face the media to discuss that the next day, did you see how much he was pouting because he couldn't get his way and he accused the other side, oh, they're playing politics with Canadians' lives. And it was it was amusing to me just to see how much of a, a child he really is. Yeah, he is a child. And and he acts like it all the time. And I I just feel like I just feel like sometimes I feel like I, I'm, I'm the only person or one of the only people who sees what's really going on? Because I don't understand how nobody else is seeing this. 
True. Yep. Well, I mean, we've said before that we are often, you know, months ahead of, of, well, the news cycle, or at least we're months ahead of mainstream Canada catching on to what's going on. And this is just another example. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I would have thought the bloom would have come off his rose, so to speak, years ago. But yet, he still has support. And if you look at uh, websites like 338Canada uh, or 338.com, whatever it's called, they, uh, their polling still indicate that if the election were uh, another election were held today, that Justin Trudeau would win and probably win more seats than the Liberal Party currently holds. And I say, what the hell? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that we're in the middle of a pandemic and the only politician Canadians are seeing on TV is Justin Trudeau. The the other thing is that the Conservatives don't have a leader. And so nobody knows what the hell they even stand for at the moment. Yeah. And and uh, and I mean we're we're still in this we're still in this pandemic uh, uh, news cycle, right? Right. Where Justin Trudeau is the only politician we see on TV and he's the, the as long as he keeps shelling out money, people are going to be happy, right? But this often um, like calling a snap election an early election generally uh, fails for the the, the, the bar- party that's currently in government because people don't want to go to elections all the time. Yeah, what happened in Alberta when the NDP got elected? That's how they got elected. Exactly. And you, you when you see um, elections like being called early for no reason, right? Like the government didn't fall on a confidence motion or uh, anything like that. People, I think the general public actually looks at it and goes, they're doing this because it was an opportunity, right? Like they, they, they people, no matter what people are tend to be pessimistic. And so when they see uh, a, a government calling a early election, when they did not lose a confidence motion in the house, I think it, it reflects poorly on, on that governing party to the general public and that's why it generally doesn't work out for them yeah no i think that's right and the cynic in me says that the reason we're hearing about the whole idea that oh they could lose a confidence motion i think is setting us up so that the trudeau government can engineer its own demise this fall and as you were suggesting before the house sits oh we uh we, we better have an election because you know Things are so tumultuous, we need that majority. And the more we, you and I have talked about it, the more I'm, I'm coming on to your side that I could actually see them trying to engineer something. Yeah, I think, that's the, I think that's the only way that they're going to win another election um, is, if they, is if they lose a confidence motion and they come out in the, in the election campaign and say, the only way that we can help Canadians is by having a majority. Because if we don't have a majority, the opposition's just going to hold up funding and, and aid packages and, and all of this. Like they're going to, they're, they'll play that, that, uh, that card, right? Yeah, I think they will. Yeah. 
that's the only way I think that they'll win another election. Yeah, I mean, much I hope that doesn't happen. Now, Canada, we're going to try to buck the trend from our last few shows where we have ended on a sour note. And I apologize. We should try to keep things a little light. And because it's such a beautiful day here, um, we've decided, Canadian common sense, we're going to end this show today to talk about a U.S. issue, and that would be the new, I don't know if you call it Republic or new nation of Chaz. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which is basically Antifa and Black Lives Matter have taken over a six-block area of downtown Seattle. They've put up barriers and uh, they're keeping people out by carrying AR-15s. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they're, they're requiring identification to get in and out of the area, uh, which is very funny because that's one of the they're, they're the same people that are advocating for open borders um, and uh, and now it's got they've, they've, they've been occupying this six block area which includes Seattle City Hall which the mayor uh, openly handed over they said here you can have it and they left the building unlocked for them and they, they took it over um, it's gotten to the point where they've they're they're having to go on full communism here because the uh, the the people that have taken over that, that have created Chaz uh, have uh, put out a call for help because they're running out of food and they're. And they're running out of resources, and they need people to uh, to donate. So it's it's becoming a communist state within the city of Seattle. <laughs> no, and, it, and it's great because what did they rail against Donald Trump for? Building a wall was the first thing they did. They built a wall. Yeah, they built walls. <laughs> <laughs> and now they and require and they require identification to get in and out, and they're patrolling those walls with AR-15s. Exactly. Yeah. So well, at least they have a militia, so they've got their defense force. But um, yeah, yeah. The blind folks of Chaz, I have to. Uh, I love this. I uh, everybody who's listened to the show for a while knows I grew up in North, in rural Alberta, and I grew up on an acreage. We had a very large garden, which I had to take care of along with my mom. And I've grown up around farmers. I have lots of friends who are farmers. So I'm, I'm no agricultural expert by any means. However, Tucker Carlson showed a video of the, uh, the garden that, that uh, I don't know, we called them Chasmonites or Chasmonites. <laughs> but anyway, they uh, decided they wanted to grow a garden. And this garden, I have to use the air fingers quotes, is... A patch of grass which they scattered a bunch of topsoil on and then just threw some some plants on on top of that topsoil i guess they probably they probably were saying here grow grow and uh <laughs> i mean again i'm no agricultural expert but even i know you might want to 
till up that grass underneath, maybe dig down a little bit so you can kind of help those things take root. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe I just, I'm just, you know, a little outdated in my methodology. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's quite comical and I just don't see it ending, ending well for those people. No. And uh, you're right. They had to put a call out for food already because they had, of course, put up a sign said to each according to their need, yada, yada, yada. And a bunch of homeless people from downtown Seattle came in and ate their food. And <laughs> so, I mean, thanks for sharing. <laughs> oh, my God. And you're going to love oh. raise money in Chaz because, uh, they have not yet developed a taxation system. So there's another video, and thank you again, Tucker Carlson, of a man in the park with a megaphone, and their method of, of raising revenue is to say, all you white people out here, before you leave the park, I want you to give $10 to, to the first black person you see. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. I also... I, but, I, but I had heard that money was not allowed to be used within... The walls of Chaz. Oh well. Whoop. So I, yeah. So I don't know. That's that's uh, that's a funny one. They're asking you to hand over your cash, but you don't have anywhere to spend it. Right. Yeah. Because of course everything is going to be provided because yeah. that's the socialist utopia of Chaz. Yep. <laughs> and I, I'm really looking forward to watching how this turns out. Well, it's taken what? What did it take? Two days for them to run out of food and start begging for supplies, and yeah. had a dumpster fire, which is so, so <laughs> I'm sorry, so fitting. There was a dumpster fire just outside the walls of Chaz, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so they called the Seattle Fire Department to come put it out. So, <laughs> and I thought, okay, dumpster fire, Chaz. <laughs> How much more fitting can you get? <laughs> oh my god oh oh i can't wait to watch more of this on tv well yeah i mean this uh it, this stuff is almost writing itself like i love it <laughs> well if 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 you had gone to a tv production company and said hey i want to create a tv show about these communists that take over downtown seattle my phone's right. and, and and the and the producer would just say get out of here well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but Chad, this is gonna, oh. oh, it's good. This is gonna. Well, if nothing else, it's going to provide a lot of entertainment before it finally crumbles upon itself. Yeah, it will. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, all right, Canada. So that's all the time we have for today. Um, and yeah, that was actually a great way to end the show. I'm I'm feeling a lot better now. <laughs> it was. Uh... So anyway, until next time, um, it's Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. All right. Good night, Canada. Good night.